0: We persist our model development governance uh, process and we define it around a blockchain technology.
1: So it's immutable. Scott Zoldi is the chief analytics officer of FICO.
0: We're a company that focuses on predictive models and, and machine learning models that help enable intelligent decisioning, decisions such as you know, fraud detection, decisioning such as risk. And so at the heart of our company are analytic models that are driving these decisioning systems and My role as a chief analytics officer is to um, drive the decisions we make with respect to machine learning and analytic technologies that enable these decisioning software. And that includes a lot of research in, in, in areas such as machine learning as we address the increasing digital needs out there with respect to decisioning systems and software.
1: You're using a variety of models and collecting and analyzing lots of data. You're in financial services, and so the whole field of uh, responsible AI is very important to you. When we talk about responsible AI or ethical AI, what do we actually mean?
0: Responsible AI is this concept of, of ensuring that we have a level of accountability with respect to the development of these models. And I like to talk about it in four different pieces. Um, the first is robust AI, which is essentially ensuring that we take the time to build models properly. That means understanding the data that we are receiving, ensuring that it's it's well-balanced and, and not uh, overtly uh uh, bias uh, it, it includes in choosing the right sort of algorithms and doing the, the robustness testing to ensure we build models properly the second part of this is explainability or interpretability of models you know what what is driving that decision in the model what has the model learned and, and is that the right thing that should be driving decisions third for responsible AI would be the ethical AI component and that is essentially making sure that it is not having a different impact for different types of people or groups of people. And the final piece, which is largely you know, ignored today, um, is this auditable AI. So being able to audit the, the how the model was developed um, and ensure that it is going to operate as it's intended, as it starts to be used to make decisions about customers. And if you do all that, right, you you instill a set of processes and accountability around how these models are developed and ensuring that you're monitoring those to ensure that they're staying in check as they're making really important decisions about customers
1: we have a very early question from Twitter and this is from Eric Eamon Wood and he's wondering to what extent is is this concept of responsible AI uh, part of your work at FICO
0: it's really central to my work um, in fact I'm, I'm really pleased that i I have authored now 20 patents in this area. so it's a huge focus for, for myself and, and for the entire firm. Um, you know with the types of models that we make um, and, and for example in credit risk, um, we have to be very, very certain around how we develop those models and we have to have a, you know a, a set you know corporately defined standard for how we develop models at FICO and enforce that. And so one of the things that we like to focus on there is in emphasizing that, these types of models that are impacting customers should not be left to data scientists' artistry, um, but rather you know, follow a prescribed, responsible AI framework. And so the way that works is that we have a, uh, a corporate-defined uh, modeling model development governance process, which is adhered to um, with respect to the scientists, where we have the checks and balances where we monitor that and we record progress along those lines so we can demonstrate not only that we want to be responsible, but, but we are because we followed this process and we can enhance that process over time. So it's a huge focus for our firm. I think it's going to be a huge focus for, for every firm that is going to be applying AI um, and, and machine learning technologies in, in the digital world in, in the coming years.
1: You made a very interesting comment. You said that uh, ethical AI, responsible AI, and managing uh, these, these trade-offs in the models should not be left to data science artistry. What did you mean by that?
0: Today, what we generally will find is you, you, you know different data scientists will have different ways they want to solve the problem. Or maybe they went to university and they got trained with a particular type of algorithm that they just really know well and they enjoy and they love. Some algorithms are, are better for responsible AI than, than others. So, for example, a lot of deep learning models are, might be great for image recognition, but they very, might, may not be the right decision when you're making a financial decision, right? Where you have to be very prescriptive around what was it that caused Michael not to get the best score um, and maybe impacted the, the, the quality of the loan that he was hoping to get. And so, know, constraining the data scientists to say, these are the technologies that we find responsible. These are the technologies from a machine learning perspective that are interpretable. Um, and this is how we're going to, you know, build models. So, although there might be 101 different ways we can build this model, we're going down these paths. They're corporately sanctioned for these reasons, right? We can revisit that from time to time, but we can't have Sally and, and Bill and, and Frank all building the model differently based on the data scientists that's assigned. It has to be really um, something that is constrained and something that is, you know, continually reviewed in terms of best practices for a particular firm. And, you know, that's a big part of responsible AI. Otherwise, you're going to have, you know, 101 different sort of reviews of whether or not you think the model is built responsibly and ethically versus saying this, this, is, the, this is the process that we use um, and we'll enhance it over time, but we're going to enforce it and ensure that we, we have consistency um, in, in the development of the analytics.
1: To what extent is this data science artistry, as you were describing, the the norm today relative to the organizational standards approach that you were just talking about?
0: So the artistry, I think, is is the majority of what's happening in the industry today. Uh, one of the things that I like to talk about, Michael, is, is just getting companies to think about, you know, how are their organizations set up from an analytics perspective, right? Um, is it a city-state model where, where you have lots of different analytic teams and they, they define their own sort of methodologies? Or do you have you know, a, a centralized corporate standard? That's pretty rare today, but I think increasingly it'll be more and more common because these concepts of responsible AI are, is actually a, a board-level and a C-level conversation. It's not, it's not sitting with the data scientists, right? They The, the individual data scientists Will not have the entire pur- pur- purview of how to ensure that their models are responsible. Um, it really takes that corporately defined standard. But many organizations don't have that today. They have piece parts. And you know, one of the things that I hope that every organization will do, if you're thinking about your own operations today, is to ask that question: like, where is it written down? And is everyone using the same processes? And you know obviously, once we define that, now we can start having a conversation on how to make it better or how to innovate around it, or how to create technology to get more efficient at getting you know these technologies built responsibly um, such that we can meet our business objectives, but also ensure that we're not harming people because um, we have the proper controls in place around that.
1: And we have a question directly on this topic, and this is from Wayne Anderson on Twitter. And he says, uh, why have more companies not formalized uh, digital ethics and responsible AI programs at scale? Is it an issue of uh, it's not a priority or are there larger blockers? So what are the obstacles towards uh, to having this approach being more prevalent in the business world?
0: Some of the main blockers is just a lack of visibility around how important this is at the, at the board level and the C level. And so I'll give an analogy, right? Um, many organizations today have their, their chief uh, security officers coming to the board meetings and talking about how the, the organization is protected from cybersecurity threat, right? And they'll have regular readouts because the organizations understand that cybersecurity is a tremendous risk to the organization, their operation. Um, and, and their reputation. Um, that same thing can be said of, of responsible AI, but we don't have typically you know, chief analytics officers or heads of analytics teams talking to boards about the relative risks of the AI models and machine learning that they're using in their organizations. And so that is probably the biggest impediment, is, is this sort of awareness of the, the, the risks that are being taken on. Um, you know, and, and frankly, we've seen a lot of bad examples out there from very well-known companies. Um, but I think increasingly we're seeing regulation I- increase in terms of what's considered high risk and, and responsible ways of developing models. I think it'll become more front of mind for these organizations. And they may have to then say, well, okay, we, now we start to understand that all this AI hype around the fact, just let the model figure it out, is, is, is dangerous, right? We need to met, put the controls in place. Then they can start to ask the questions around how they are properly organized such that analytics doesn't have, let's say, 100 voices in an organization. It has a single voice, and it's a voice that is really informing that risk profile that the company is taking on with respect to their use of AI.
1: To what extent must data scientists, in your view, have a nuanced understanding of these ethical issues and trade-offs as distinct from the functional success of their models and algorithms?
0: One of the things that I like to try to promote um, is is this concept of of explainability first and and prediction second, which basically means that we have to stop rewarding data scientists for high-performing models as if that is the only business objective we have. Um, Because the proper business objective should be that we understand the model, we can interpret it, we know that we're following a responsible AI framework where the models are ethical, um, and we're monitoring those models over time. So, we need to broaden the data scientist's perspective so they see the full life cycle of these models, including how decisions get made, um, so that they understand the the gravity of the decisions that get made with these models and and their role in that right, so um, because what otherwise what happens is the business owners become calloused because they say, well, the, the model told me so, and the data scientist is removed from the business or the customers that are impacted because they're working in an protected, enclosed data environment. But sharing with them the entire sort of implications of responsible AI and the fact that know, that they have a really important role to play in, in ensuring that they're taking these precautions um, to ensure that the models are built ethically and responsibly and robustly, such that they can be audited, I think really helps to close this gap. And then, you know, very often that's when the data scientists start to say, listen, this is way too big for, for me to understand on my own. I need some framework to help me, right? And that, that starts this conversation around this model development governance process, um, because now they say, now I have the guide rails that enable me to ensure that I'm meeting a, a standard that, you know, let's say a FICO would design, uh, define or your individual company would define as as the proper way of building these models.
1: And we have another question from Twitter relating to the governance point that you just raised. And I have to say, you know, I love the questions that. that come in from social media because we're having this real-time conversation with folks who are listening, and the audience is so sophisticated and smart, so insightful. So, Arsalan Khan, who's a regular listener, uh, thank you, Arsalan, for that. He asks, as more and more companies use AI that can affect millions of people potentially, should we only be relying on the good faith of these individuals and their companies to be responsible should the government be involved? I
0: think the government will be involved, right? The, the way that I see you know, regulation uh, stepping up is that you know, we have for some time had a number of companies that you know, promise to do no evil um, and then you know, ultimately we find mis- big, big mistakes occurring, right? And so um, I, I think government will, will take a role. I think the other major aspect of this is that um, it's not going to be good enough to say that I, I, I intend to do well. Right or I had a pledge I would do well. Right or I have an ethics board that you know that makes me feel as if I'm doing well. Um, so one of the things that we do at FICO, for example, is we persist our model development governance uh, process and we define it around a blockchain technology. So it's immutable, meaning that you know the what, what backs the you know our intent to be responsible is a, a model development governance process. And then what backs the fact that we've actually done it is this blockchain technology where we can persist those steps to the blockchain so that it's immutable. We demonstrate we followed that process. And so I think in the future, right, we could see a day where, you know, government agencies or regulators will say, can you, can you show me what your responsible AI um, development framework is? And can you show me some level of evidence that you have a proof of work that you follow it, right? And, and I think um, we may see more and more of that. Um, it's been my strong hope that organizations will develop this themselves, and I think I see some great headways, particularly in the financial services space, where where different organizations are coming together to try to define that. Um, very much like the ISAC model in cybersecurity, where you know different uh, subgroups of of industry have their own cybersecurity standards that they want to follow, but ultimately, right as we see some of the GDPR and, and European. Legislation around um, AI developing and our own internal um, AI um, policies being developed around responsible AI. I think we'll see more and more government uh, involvement because um, we're not seeing enough proof of work that that you know we go beyond words and we actually have you know established processes that are adhered to in, in many organizations to ensure that proof of work.
1: Scott, you just mentioned uh, the use of blockchain to make these. Uh, Responsible AI decisions immutable, as as you described it. Can you elaborate on that for us a little bit?
0: You know what what we have in these governance um, model development governance frameworks are. You know what what is the what is the model we're trying to build? What was the data that was used? Who are the scientists that are involved? Um, what are the steps and the requirements that we need to see? Let's say within um, different sprints of a model development process. So very often this is an agile development process for models, right? Um, and we will persist the progress to the blockchain. So if a, a data scientist has gotten the data together, we'll say, okay, who, you know, what does the data look like? Have we done some tests around the? Um, you know whether there's any sort of bias in there or data quality issues um, that will get exposed it'll be reviewed by uh, an approver that approver will um, either give their approval or deny approval right and, and ask the data science to go forward um, and, and do more work and so all those steps get persisted along with names <laughs> and, and uh, to, to the blockchain so you know that it's, a, it's, it's it's a it's a accountability measure right but what we're trying to emphasize is that we are, we are documenting in that immutable blockchain all those steps. So at the end of the modeling process, right, we have ensured that we we you know have done all the proper checks that are part of our process with respect to data. We have used the, the prescribed analytic technologies in terms of types of machine learning models we have used the standard code bases that define our variables if we've added new variables it's gone through a formal review with stakeholders so we don't learn about it 2 years later when we didn't know something was in there right and we do the stability and robustness testing and ethics testing and all that gets put to the to the blockchain and it actually comes down even further that that same blockchain becomes the the source of record that we monitor models and so this is a really important point you're not ethical. And you're not responsible until you start using the model, right? Um, and so, you know, I could tell you that I built a, a ethical model, and you, you'd say, "Great, Scott," um, but it doesn't really matter until it starts to impact customers. And so, the important part of this is, is, in addition to showing proof of work, is to monitor that model for things like bias drift. And so, what would happen is you would identify what those key, what we call latent features, are that drive the behavior of the model. And you'd monitor that, and as soon as those latent features start to have a distribution that start to get um, misaligned, you have an alerting mechanism, right? So, you know, it, it's really important that that same blockchain is the thing that's going to inform us um, of how to monitor that model and maybe how to adjust to changing times, like the pandemic that we are are in and, and hopefully getting through in the near future, um, because you know. Data changes and and the way the models respond change and having that visible is really really important. So um, it, it serves lots of purposes, but it gets down to a pretty atomic level.
1: You mentioned using blockchain to therefore help detect whether bias is creeping in, but your analytic methods for detecting bias can also be biased. And so, how do you sidestep that problem?
0: You know, what, what we're trying to focus on is as we develop the latent features uh, for, for these models, right, that's where we would test. Let's say if we have different groups of individuals we want to show that the, the, the features that drive the model um, behave similarly between different protected classes. And so, you know, we can do that on the data set that we see we develop the model on, right? Um, we, just, we set criteria under a, a, an acceptable amount of, of variation across, let's say, protected classes. Um, and then going forward, though, what we do is those same measures that allowed us to pass, um, let's say, an, an ethics review with respect to how the model was built on historical data are the same exact metrics that are we're monitoring in, in the production environment. And that's how you know, we, we go through the, the kind of review of these latent features and what's accepted or not. And then we ensure that they continue to stay in line um, within the production environment. And, and Michael, we, we do throw away a lot of latent features. And so we may find that a latent feature seems to make a lot of sense. And you and I might look at it and say, yeah, that, that's reasonable. That a reasonable relationship. But then the ethics testing would say, Oh, but Michael and Scott, you didn't really realize that these two different groups have very different types of distributions and behaviors, even though it might make a lot of functional sense or, or notional sense why it works. And, and so that's the process. But yeah. It is to root those out and get out of things where you and I might because because of our perspectives because of the time that we spend we might say yeah, it looks like a great feature um, but ultimately we need all that tooling in place to say yeah maybe it was except no it's not ethical you have to remove it and then you you continue to rebuild that model and find other late features
1: And on this topic we have another question from Twitter from Elizabeth Shaw who asks, what if the responsible AI framework developed by the analytics and AI team is at odds with corporation, the corporate culture, and the business goals of the company?
0: This is a, it's not an analytics um, governance standard. It, it's really a company governance standard. So I think the first thing that has to occur is you have to find somebody at the C level or the executive level that is going to be the sponsor. So we don't want to have like an analytics team that has no voice here. So that sponsor is not like selling like a chief analytics officer, right? Then is it the CEO? Um, Is it the chief risk officer? Um, Is it the CTO, right? That's going to take that responsibility for essentially the software within within decisioning um, that impact customers. So I think that the question is is the right one. I'd say one needs to find that executive sponsor, and it has to be at that you know at that C level. Um, that will say yes. If it's not an analytics person sitting in that seat, then it's um, it's going to be someone that is going to take on the risks to, associated with the usage of those models in terms of business processes, whether it be a CRO or someone else. Uh, and then it does. Then we don't have this sort of disconnect between what the company wants to achieve and what the um, you know what the the risks associated with uh, the the AI model. But it's a it's a real problem, obviously, right? We see many occurrences of this. So you know. If an organization, you know, has troubles with that, right? Then we have to go back to, you know, our, you know, I, I like to ask the question sometimes: when, when is it okay not to be ethical, right? And generally, people will don't have a very difficult time with that question, right? And so we want to put ethics and responsibility first, and you know, have companies, you know, make that one of the tenets because, frankly, um, you know, one can solve most of the problems in a responsible way if they take the time to do it without really impacting the performance of their models, right? There, there are literally infinite number of models that I could build to solve a problem. Some are good, some are bad, and some are ugly, right? We want to avoid the bad and the ugly and go for the good. And so these things are typically not at odds with one another, but it's an education thing around that we can meet the business objective while still being responsible.
1: So from that standpoint, it's not much different than uh, sustainability or other corporate objectives that or corporate investments, let's put it this way.
0: Absolutely. And I think that's the conversation that has to occur. And, and frankly, that's the challenge, right, to the earlier part of our conversation, right? For the last decade, we've been hammered with, you know, AI will solve every problem that you you, you have, Michael. And then, you know, with cloud computing, we'll do it cheaply. And with open source, I don't really need to write the code. And, you know, but we, we didn't stop in all that hype cycle and all that energy to actually understand that, you know, right now we're in a period of time where, where AI has to grow up, right? And, and we have to take the same sort of, uh, fiscal sort of responsibility for the technologies here. and and you know these ones are you know as dangerous as anyone, any technologies that we would use within our businesses, primarily because you know the the biases and instabilities um, are very often hidden unless you really spend time to prescribe how you're going to build it to expose it to the light of day and to have a conversation about it.
1: And we have a couple of more questions. Let's see. Uh, from Twitter. Wayne Anderson asks, in the larger data ecosystem, we see di- very divergent values in Europe, China, Russia, and the U.S. for maintaining data. How does this affect the calculus for governing AI at scale?
0: So, For, for global companies, it, it's, it's a key sort of you know, challenge to try to, to, to mediate um, all these sort of differences. I I guess I respond in this way, you know, what what we generally focus on are looking at the most stringent sort of um, data requirements. So if you look at GDPR and some of the European um, regulation, you know, the the ability to get consent um, to ensure that we have an ability to demonstrate um, where that data came from and you maintain data lineages is a best practice, right? Um, and so, you know, building to that best practice is probably a good idea because the United States and other countries are looking to Europe as a leader in, in some of this legislation and, and best practices. I think in other areas where it might be, um, the standards might be a little bit lower, the corporation needs to make a decision around whether they are going to um, take the high road, I think, uh, with respect to um, how they're going to conduct their business within a within country. So, you know, as an example, right, um, very often, I'll work with clients and they'll want to, you know, the, t- the quality of the tag, essentially, you know, the, you know whether someone's good or bad is, is dirty, right? Um, maybe it it's, 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 might be combining a credit risk behavior with a fraud behavior and, and, you know, a client might say, just throw it into one model because and, and, I want to just figure out loss, right? But those are two very different behaviors and very often we have to say, no, we're not going to do that. We have to be very precise about what that tag is. And so, you know, in addition to trying to adopt uh, maybe the best practice, um, one might, from a corporate perspective, say, you know what, we're not going to, you know, do the right things in Europe and then take a lower sort of position uh, or a lower ethics position in, in a different region, only because maybe the the standards are, are not as strict there. So that's part of the the trade-offs though, and the decisions that need to be made. But but again, typically it's an education thing, and it's also going to be a corporate you know reputation piece of you know, will we try to meet the best practice with respect to things like um, the right to um, consent around data and, and the, the right to explain and the right to remove data from, from models? And if you start to think along those as a, a future possible set of constraints um, across the majority of the business, you know, then you're prepared to, 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 to meet sort of a global um, demand with maybe a best practice that you work towards.
1: Again, Wayne Anderson wants to know, can you achieve bias management in responsible AI if you aren't prioritizing diversity in the workforce of machine learning? It's a very interesting question. And how do you shake up the perspective to look for a different view? And Arsalan Khan comes back and says, uh, diversity, he believes that diversity is important when developing AI to that will address uh, biases and perceptions. So they're really they're really saying the same thing. How do you how do you weed out bias if you don't have diversity in the workforce among the people who are writing these these models?
0: So there, Dan, there's a couple of pieces here, right? So yeah, what one wants to have diversity in, in the workforce and so you know that that that's number one, right We have to have that that sort of focus with respect to a workforce. Perspective, right? And, and that includes you know, differences um, in, in terms of the, the types of people hire, the, the parts of the world we hired them from, right? Um, and, and potentially you know, different exposures to different parts of the business. Um, so I think that's critically important. Um, with respect to a, a governance process, right? These are the sort of things where this governance process is we revisited on a regular basis. It could be quarterly, right? Or it could be um, even more rapidly if someone has a, a, a difference of opinion. One of the things that we will routinely do is, for example, in our own processes, um, reassess, right? Like if we say these are technologies that are not allowed, right? Um, As new things develop, we're more than open to go and and to change or to revise our decision around a particular algorithm. Um, And so we have diversity in terms of the the, ensuring that there's flexibility in the corporate model development governance uh, standards that we use. But also you know, ensure that every scientist has a voice, right? And I think you know, the, best, um, the best organizations out there that I've seen, you know, really make a, a concerted effort to make sure that each and every um, person within an organization has a voice to express a, a difference of opinion um, uh, and to, you know, to challenge a, a standard. Um, usually, if that's done well, then you know, the scientists will, you know, will have that diversity of thought. Um, these will be exposed and discussed, right? And and you know the standards get better because of it.
1: Another great question coming in from Twitter again on this same topic. How do you address, address the veto power of an executive who doesn't agree with what the data is saying?
0: A couple things, right? I think there has to be a, a tiebreaker sort of um, environment, right? So one might have a veto power, but you know that that itself should be something that would be reviewed from an ethics perspective, right? Um, if if you have the key executives, let's say that that each of them have a veto, right? Um, that would be something that should actually be reviewed by the independence uh, ethics board to understand why is that being vetoed, right? Now if it's being vetoed because that that business owner doesn't like a a set of ramifications um, with respect to the business um, outcomes, right? Um, That can be reviewed, right, in the context of what is the risk-based model. And I think risk-based models are probably the very best way to to address this, right? They're used extensively in areas like anti-money laundering, right? So um, I think we should try not to get to a flat veto power. We should look at it from a risk-based perspective. So, you know, what is the risk in, in taking this decision and, and why does this individual feel this way? Um, and then you know expose it in terms of a set of risk parameters that the company overall will, will try to take versus a, you know denying of a particular model or not. I mean there will be situations potentially where um, maybe it's so egregious right that, that, that the dialytic organizations might feel that they have to escalate or they need to really you know broaden that conversation. But having that risk framework uh, in place, um, I think, will be a lot better than just having, let's say, a an executive that is either misinformed or potentially biased in their own view to, you know, a, a particular type of model or an, an outcome, um, thoroughly really expose it for for the entire set of uh, executives to, to to ponder that risk-based decision they need to make.
1: So, in summary, then you're depersonalizing these decisions, but that also doesn't that also require The executive to be willing to submit to the decisions that are made by that process and by that uh, risk committee.
0: Correct, right? And and I think most executives will, if there's a process in place, right? And so, you know, there's very often, you know, at at these executive levels, decisions where not everyone gets what they want, right? And and some people have to concede, and they'll look at the pros and the cons, and their their concerns will be acknowledged, and then the group will make that decision. Uh, so I think, you know, you know, I think that's one of the things from a corporate a- accountability perspective and, frank- frankly, uh, an effectively working executive team that they're already used to. It's just now we have to give them the framework so that um, that conversation can be had where, you know, AI and ethics and things like this may not be their core competencies. Right. Um, and so you know, we need to help them with the, what are the risks? Right. You know, what what's at stake? Right. Most of them won't, won't you know, decide to take down their firewalls because it's expensive right because uh, they understand what the risk is and so the same thing has to occur on the AI side. so education 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 is another really big part of this um, so that they understand and you know most of them if they're doing their jobs will make very good rational decisions when they have that framework in place
1: That's a really really good point that it in many respects it's not too different from recognizing, the importance of the firewall, and we don't just simply take it down because we feel like it today. Because there's some something that has to be dealt with. We we make a we have a considered decision process to get there.
0: Yeah, and that's part of that growing up and that maturity, right? These frameworks, like in, like I do a lot of work in cybersecurity, um, and and you know these frameworks are there for a <laughs> protect us from ourselves and our you know well intentioned employees or or, or uh, that that make mistakes, and so. That's the that's the key thing I hope to see develop over the next five years is more of these frameworks in place, right? And I, I don't think people f- push against it. I think a lot of people that are perceived as not supporting ethical, and responsible AI simply don't understand it or don't understand that they need to pay as close attention to that as they would, let's say, the security posture of the organization.
1: One difference between the firewall example and when we talk about uh, models and decisions based on models is the the firewall is really like insurance it's protecting against a negative event that may happen but when you talk about these models you're you're talking about predictability that can have a profound benefit on the business outcomes that's number 1 and number 2 the technology understanding The model requires a deeper technical understanding. And the implications of the model require a deeper technical understanding than simply the abstract concept. Well, we're going to turn off the firewall, which is pretty simple, pretty straightforward.
0: Uh, Agreed, right. And and so I, I think one of the things that that will help enable this, right? Because like the executives also don't understand how you know firewalls work and or more sophisticated technology. Um, in cyber but you know I think one of the things that that is part of this is, is this sort of example of what we call humble AI so you know, I can imagine a conversation going like this hey um, you know this is the risk that we have the company as a group at, at this executive level and maybe in, with the help of the executive committee says okay we are going we are going to take the risk. Um, because we think, you know, we think we're okay with that risk, but this is what we're going to do. We're going to monitor it in production. Um, if it crosses these thresholds, we're going to drop that model and we're going to move to a simpler model that we better understand. And that concept is called humble AI, right? It's it, it's this sort of concept that you know we're going to have a backup plan. We're going to have a fallback plan, right? And and the thing that's not occurring very often right now, Michael, is monitoring of these assets. So we did a survey. Um, with Carinium, and, and we found that across CAOs and CDOs um, and, and chief ML officers that only 20% of leading organizations actually monitor their models, right? So part of this would be, hey, um, we'll make this, we'll take on some risk here, right? Um, but we're going to have this monitoring process in place, and if it crosses these thresholds, and we're going to admit that this was not, it becomes too big of a risk for us to take, and we're going to drop down to a simpler model. And that's what we want to get to, Right. Um, is that sort of fallback, but also a data-driven decision. We don't want it to be an academic conversation at, at the end of the day because, uh, yeah, you're right. Um, they're, they're not going to, each of these executives have an ability to opine on the, the relative risks and values of, of deep, deep technology. But, but having those you know, guardrails in place and ensuring that if things are coming off the rails that you have a, a fallback plan, um, is critically important, right? And I think that's also part of the responsible AI piece that we, we haven't touched on a lot, but this monitoring and, and how, what you do, and as you have to pivot, is a core part of remediating or, or removing some of that risk in that decision um, because you have a way to, to, to reverse that decision or to adjust that decision if things are not going um, the correct direction.
1: We have another set of questions, really uh, the same question from two different people. This is from Eric Emin Wood, and also from Elizabeth Shaw, and essentially they both want to know uh, what is the responsible AI framework at FICO, and how's that working out?
0: Ours is based on this this concept of what we call an analytic tracking document, and so this analytic tracking document is is the kind of core. It's been in place at FICO for for 15 years or more, um, and essentially it is you know describing all the steps of of the modeling project, the objective, the success criteria, the tests that have to be done, um, who's doing the work, when is it going to get done in each of these sprints, and and then having it approved by myself and then regularly reviewed as part of sprint reviews. So, um, we have become very accustomed to to running through that responsible AI framework. it's working out well. Um, You know, I I have some of the very best data scientists in the industry. Um, They're incredibly smart and, and intuitive and, and, but they appreciate the gravitas of decisions they're making, and so they have found ways to um, to work within the frameworks to improve it and to innovate around it, right? So, we don't see it as a, a, a hindrance. We see it as, as a way to ensure that we're operating in, in these um, responsible um, swim lanes, um, and we're protected, right? A lot of our data scientists feel very well supported um, uh, in terms of, you know, an ability to to… to to build the models appropriately in the first place, but also to flag issues um, throughout the model development. Um, And more importantly, once we established what that looks like and we run through it, and now it's like a a well-oiled machine, we we, we generate hundreds and hundreds of models with these processes. The scientists now look for incremental ways to improve it. And what I really like about it is that they are making that standard stronger and stronger each year with new IP and new ideas around how to address some of the, the challenges in the market. And, and that allows us to build, right? I think one of the things that, that data scientists really need to get um, – to keep focusing on is that we get stronger as an organization or as a group of data scientists, not based on an individual's achievement, but based on on the group's achievement. And, and I think many of – in my team just see a lot of value in that, where eventually you get a framework around this, you know, uh, responsible AI development process that in and it itself would a, a superpower each of them to achieve more um, – in terms of you know better incorporation of new intellectual property, um, a venue to have conversations to challenge what that ethical or responsible AI framework work looks like, but also to make sure that the models go out, you know, no one's losing sleep around how they're performing and how we're monitoring those to ensure that we're you know they're still on the rail.
1: It sounds like you have built a culture. Inside the company, and especially among the data scientists, that prioritize responsible AI and evaluating these models for bias and risk, and all the other things that you've been describing.
0: Correct. I mean, one of the things that you know, even the my my, my strongest research scientists, right? They'll, they'll they'll basically say, you know, FICO is not a Kaggle competition, right? And and so you know, we're we're not impressed with you know small incremental performance um, improvements, right? We, we've had enough. Um, enough time to understand that you know if you see a little little bit of uh, performance improvement that that's probably not real. <laughs> when it goes into production, it probably won't hold up. It's not going to be robust. And so you know we, we very much have gotten them um, let's say off an academic track of, of you know performance is key to one where robustness, stability, um, continuity of models um, are, are really really important. So uh, absolutely right. It's it's a different culture. Um, in, in terms of, you know, what, what, what is the success criteria for a model? So going back to what I said earlier, where I say explainability first and, and, and prediction second, right? What are the success criterias, right? Um, and, and, you know, prediction does not have to be the number one. And as soon as you start to adjust that, right, transparency, interpretability, right, um, constraining it to be palatable, ensuring that um, you have controls in place that it can be monitored and you can drop back to a different technology, Those are really, really good success criteria where you are impacting human life, right? Um, Saying that you have a particular, you know, genie coefficient on a model and it's bigger than the one next to it really doesn't um, help anyone out, right? You need to ensure that the rest of these pieces are in place. And yeah, sure, we care about performance and we don't usually give up much on performance, but we're not going to do that at the cost of of potentially doing things irresponsibly with respect to models and and harming people um, in, in in that vein.
1: So as we finish up, what advice do you have on this whole topic for uh, data scientists, and what advice do you have for business leaders?
0: For data scientists, I'd say this: right, um, think a little bit about you know your own analytic organizations. Right, are they talking about this actively? You know, is there differences of opinion? Should you all get together um, if you are a kind of a, a city-state model um, and 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 start to come up with your own you know. Um, AI governance frameworks so that you can have a common group think, right? You're not going to be able to influence an organization, an executive team, if if there's a hundred voices or there has to be kind of one sort of consensus around how to do this, right? And there'll be some puts and some takes, but have those conversations, educate one another and and, and see what that best practice is by getting some of the leaders in your organization to to get together and and then make it a priority for them. Um, For the business side, Right. Let's make sure that, that the risks that are associated with AI and machine learning is an active conversation that's co- occurring at the executive team level and at the board level, right? And then asking the question, what are we doing about it? You know, um, and what, what are those processes? Is it written down, right? I mean, we, we have these things qualified in so many other parts of businesses, but not necessarily the machine learning piece. And if those two things occur at the data scientist level from, you know, let's say, the ground level. Uh, up and, and, and then at the top level, being aware of the concern and the risk that organizations are increasingly taking with these technologies. Um, my hope would be that they meet in the middle at some point and, and they, you know, more effectively sort of corporately define what that standard looks like. And, and, and the entire, both sides will get what they need in terms of, you know, ensuring that models are built appropriately and the business functions um, at a relatively low risk while they benefit from machine learning and AI technology.
1: Okay. What a fascinating and uh, very quick discussion, quick 45 minutes. I would like to thank Scott Zoldi, the Chief Analytics Officer from FICO, for taking time and sharing your expertise with us. Scott, thank you very much for being here today.
0: Michael, it was a great pleasure. Thanks for giving me the, the venue to, to discuss these ideas with you.
1: And thank you, a huge thank you to everybody who watched, and especially to those people who asked such great questions. Now, before you go, please subscribe to our YouTube channel and hit the subscribe button at the top of our website, so we can send you our newsletter. Check out cxotalk.com. We have incredible shows coming up. We'll send you notifications. Thanks so much, everybody, and I hope you have a great day. And. Keep the conversation going on Twitter and LinkedIn. See you later. Bye-bye.